Well, you're, you're a one-person marketer, right? I was in your position for seven years, and it does feel really lonely. That's the reason that I was inspired to start Tiny Marketing was because I felt so isolated being a one-person marketer that I thought, you know, there's a lot of other people that are in the same position as me. Let's all get together and talk about this. Welcome to Top of Mind a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. My guest on today's episode has made quite a name for herself in the world of online marketing, but it's not because she's worked on campaigns that have featured ads on the side of Times Square billboards or worked for a highly funded Silicon Valley tech startup with a super slick product. In fact, she's gained popularity because she's gone in the totally opposite direction, focused her attention and skill on helping a very particular type of marketer, a tiny marketer. And though their teams may be small and their budgets even smaller, tiny marketers punch way above their weight class to drive serious business outcomes. She's a writer, the founder of Tiny Marketing, and the marketing manager of the Chicago Fawcett Company. Joining me live is Sarah Noel Block. Thanks so much for joining me tonight, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm glad we were able to get together. I know you've definitely got a lot going on. You've got... (laughs) <laughs> a little bit of consulting. You've got a full-time gig. Yeah, blog. I snapped during the intro just because I needed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't keep you too long, but I do want to dive right into some of the stuff you're working on because it's super fascinating to me as the only marketer and uh, working with a sales team, but also your history in working with companies that aren't highly marketable. And I don't mean that in the way that they don't do marketing. They do do marketing, but it's a different type of marketing. Can you tell me a little bit about the Chicago Fawcett Company is all about and why you chose to work there? Yes, they manufacture commercial faucets. It's <laughs> exciting. <laughs> I joke with them that I only work in unsexy industries. So I work with them to build brand awareness with influencers in the area. So architects, designers, facility managers, but also work with our distributors who are the ones that actually, they're the customers, so the ones that actually buy it and then sell to those influencers. It's a, it's a different kind of world, but I've always been marketing for companies like that. Before Chicago Faucets, I was with the Moran Group doing mechanical contracting uh, marketing. So, you know, that's the way I roll. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's you must find it enjoyable it, you, in our kind of brief texting before getting on the line here, you said that you love bringing analog and offline businesses to modern, modern era. That that's the fun thing for me. That's why I chose Chicago faucets. I had a few offers when I decided to change companies and Chicago faucets was in a position where they were going from being really completely analog to building a digital presence for the first time. And I find that beginning stage so much fun because that's when you get to look at what kind of technology makes sense for that company, what 
how you want to reach your audience, you have to really dig into them and learn where they are online so you know how to reach them. And it has just a bigger impact than it does for a company that's already super digital and modern. It's just pow when you're working with a company that hasn't done it before. It's exciting. Yeah, for sure. And this is kind of a selfish question because I want to know for myself, but in that early <laughs> stage where you need to figure out the real customer persona, where they live online, they're not necessarily going to be as easily categorized as a lot of direct-to-consumer brands where it's like everyone needs a toothbrush, so we'll just make this one segmented at young people, this one segmented at old people. Yeah. Do you have any tips or tricks on how to do that early, early stage research? Yeah. Now, in this question, is it when you already know who your audience is and you need to understand them better or you don't even know who you should sell to? Let's assume you know who you're selling to and you have sales. You're just trying to figure out your digital platforms. Mm -hmm. Well, what I did for all of my companies really is first I would dig into the analytics. I would look at Google analytics and see where they were coming from. What, what were my best acquisition channels? Who was sharing our content? Then I would actually, you know, the best source, which I'm not a huge Twitter fan, but Twitter analytics gives you a real deep dive into your followers. So it's a great source to figure out what they're doing and how to reach them. Okay. Another go-to for me is bigger publications, media companies that are catering to your audience. They have the money and the time to do the research on their audience. So just digging into their media kits gives you a ton of information. Analyzing their content, like funnels that they use is another way. And then just looking at their social media channels, where are they really big? What are they talking about? What is getting engagement? And just gathering all of that data together is the best way to really understand your audience. Um, looking at your competitors, SEM Rush has this competitive analysis option that's included with the with the subscription, and you can see like where your competitors are advertising, how much they're spending, who's linking to them, and SimilarWeb is another one that you can analyze your competitors. Yeah, I've heard, I've used SimilarWeb before, and that's really good for seeing the amount of traffic too, so you can kind of get an idea of what some of the the big players are getting. And then also when you go end up on your competitor's site, you can also see kind of what a benchmark because yeah. it becomes very lonely too. If you're the only person in thinking about marketing on a daily basis, you're like, Oh, I don't know how much like our traffic. Yeah, not that I know what impressive. you mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're a one person marketer, right? It was you for a really long time. Now I, now I manage a tiny team, but I was in your position for seven years and it does feel really lonely. I completely understand that. And you have to seek out the people, like your people that you can talk to that understand what you're doing and you can bounce ideas off of them. That's the reason that I was inspired to start Tiny Marketing was because I felt so isolated being a one-person marketer that I thought, you know, there's a lot of other people that 
are in the same position as me. Let's all get together and talk about this. So is Tiny Marketing a community or is it a an education channel? How do you describe it to people? That's a good question. I think of it more as a community, really. It's centered primarily around around our mentor calls. We'll, we'll just talk about tiny marketing problems and how to solve them. And then I build out education for them with everything that I learned over the years, being a one-person marketing department. And the biggest thing that I hear from them, which really is the source of my ideas for education is hearing their problems. And I'm like, oh, I know how to solve that. (laughs) I've been there. The biggest one that I hear is that they don't know like what to focus on. And then once they do, how to build a process around that. So it's not so overwhelming with only one person doing it. Yeah, that's exactly what I've tried to do locally for myself is reach out to other marketers at companies. I'm in a pretty small city. So a lot of the companies are, are small and medium sized. So most of us are in the same, con- our same position and nice. we all got together. Got a little community. Exactly. And so we got together a couple of weeks ago and I was kind of nervous. I didn't think everyone was going to get along. I didn't know if everyone was going to have things to talk about. And within two minutes, people were already diving into like their SEO strategies <laughs> and stuff like that. That's speaking awesome. the language. I was like, okay, I think I got the right people in the room here. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about this dinner that you had with one person marketers. Well, it worked out perfectly because one of the people I reached out to, she's the marketer at a local brewery. And so she said, perfect, we'll host free beer. (laughs) So there was a little bit of a magnet there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Actually, this is perfect because we went through and everyone introduced themselves because a lot of us had never met in person or even digitally and chatted about what we're working on and what our blind spot is. And this was really kind of just a great conversation starter because a lot of us know that there's endless amount of things to be working on, but we also know that there's areas that we have chosen not to work on. So this is the group to help us do that. Kind of like an outsourced marketing team. We might not do the the work, but we'll help you through like the process. And so I've yeah. actually got two questions particular for you that I kind of picked up from that community. You touched on them right before where you said, we don't know what activities to focus on because we aren't sure how to drive the most impact. And in a lot of these small businesses, that is revenue. Like you need to earn your position and show yes. why it, it exists, right? And then the second one that moves into that is once you identify the, the things you need to do, how do you, how do you do it? How do you outsource, automate, mm-hmm. delegate, whatever the system is, and then make sure it's all within budget. So why don't we start with that identifying opportunities? So you said start with analytics as a really good way to begin looking at existing channels. And so would the strategy be then strengthening existing channels before mm-hmm. moving on to new ones? Yes. I, my go-to for this is I wrote, I wrote an article about this in tech funnel. I create goals based on like high buying intent pages. So I look at the funnel of how people are going to the discovery call page or contact us page. How are they first finding your website in the, in the first place? And you can do that through the goal section of Google Analytics. 
and start there. What's driving the highest uh, point to get into contact us or <laughs> right. request a, a quote. So that's, that's where I start. When I tested this idea with Chicago faucets, I saw that organic search was the highest, was the highest acquisition channel to get people to actually buy from us. So that tells me that I need to focus more on SEO and building out our content. So we built an education portal and um, just focused on driving these content pillars for, for the SEO that we wanted to get. We are commercial faucets, so we need to build content that drives people there. We need to focus on the people that we want searching for us. How can we get there? So we'll, we're building out content and we're making sure it's, it's being seen in the right places. We'll guest post in other publications that have similar audiences and just build out our SEO as much as possible. But that doesn't mean that organic search is what's driving people to buying from your company. So if you just build out that goal and look at the acquisition channels, how people are finding you who are actually buying from you, focus there first. Mm. Like me in particular, it's not organic search that's driving the people who actually buy from me. It's, it's actually referral traffic from guest posts on, on other publications. So it's like, okay, <laughs> that's where I need to be. I need to keep driving that before I move on to the next thing. I need to be doing what's actually paying the bills first. Let's say you're not running ads. There'll be no acquisition traffic through ads. So it's not like it's not going to work. True. But we want to focus on things that are currently working rather than hoping that something else is going to work. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I would do that first if you're in a position where you, you don't have a lot of time, you don't have a lot of budget, start with, with what's working and then start testing when you're getting more comfortable and the revenue is coming in. For example, with Chicago, we had never done digital ads before. So we started testing it. We tested it using Rollworks and Google ads and social media. We, we were on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. We tested everywhere. And we found that what we thought would work wasn't what was actually working. It was Google ads were doing better than everything by a lot like 13% click-through rate on ads. It was just insane. So, I mean, my advice would be do what's driving revenue first and then test out other channels for a short time, a little bit of budget and see what else might work. Nice, that's, that's really great advice. And then, so once you've identified the areas to go in, now it comes time to building out the content putting your fingers on the keyboard and making stuff happen. So what should we be thinking about when it comes to the, a tiny marketing team? So you've built out a small team for yourself. What, what, what were the original steps in thinking or maybe even pitching the idea of growing? The first step was what I did was I made a list. I made a list of absolutely everything that needed to get done. And then I separate it into groups like with specialties. And that's how I proposed it to my 
to my director. Like, this is what I would do. And I think we'll go a lot further if we have a digital marketing coordinator do this list of things and then a marketing communication manager doing this list of things. And luckily, after I, I talked to him about that and we did a little bit of calculating to make sure that, that it worked, we, we were able to, to test it out, see if it'll work. And it, it really is. So we started there. And then when it came to actually managing this department, that was a whole other world because I was a one-person marketer forever. So I started off using what I did with my contractors and I built out Trello boards to manage everything and it blew up. Everybody in, in the department loves Trello now <laughs> and it's moved into engineering now. Everybody's using Trello. Oh, right on. <laughs> <laughs> Usually tools like that are really hard to get any buy-in from anyone. That's, I know. That I definitely thought I'd be rejected real quick and just be the annoying person who's like, come on, I'm pushing <laughs> this tool on you. But it just worked so well with like the power-ups and the add-ons that you could do in, the, in Butler, the automation that everyone could see the value in it. We just built out a system with it. So marketing requests go through there now. You can put in your docs in there. Absolutely everything runs through there. And it'll work whether you're you know, managing a small team like me or you're managing contractors as a one-person department. Yeah, that's hugely valuable. The movement of information, I think, is something that is really hard to nail down with small teams because mm -hmm. you do such ad hoc activities. It's like, oh, I've got an e uh, like, are we using Teams or are we using email or are we using Slack? Yes. Like, what, how are we communicating? Or should I just come up and say hi to you? The movement of information is just like the most frustrating part of uh, not, that's not a marketing problem. That's a, that's a modern business problem, but no. You're right. We had the same problem until I was like, you know what? Everything has to go through Trello. We can't have communication happening in a thousand different channels. It's not going to work. We need it. We need a home. <laughs> we need a home for information. So now everything is in there. And luckily, like Slack integrates with Trello so you can have those conversations in there. Awesome. You do a lot of writing. You post on your own blog and then on guest blogs. And mm -hmm. was so was the article you just mentioned the one that was shared by uh, Google Analytics, or is that a personal blog? No, that was shared by by Google. So that's really exciting. So you you talked about using Google Analytics to identify the best channels, and then Google Analytics picked it up and shared it on their channel. <laughs> yeah, which has a significant following. So I've never had a big wigs pick up my stuff. What that? What was your reaction there? How'd you find out? Uh, tell you what, <laughs> I was at a presentation training actually with my team and we were all at lunch at the time and my boss goes, Google Analytics just tweeted you. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I pick up my phone and I had text with screenshots from other people who saw it too. And I was like, <laughs> I can't believe that. Well, hello, Google. Thank you. You just gave me some cred. <laughs> Did you get much? I'm just curious about like how, because you don't want like flash in the pan things. You obviously want like progressive growth, but did you notice a, a lot of inbound after that? Yeah. One of my biggest clients came from that article. 
Cool. Well, there you go. <laughs> Writing is a big part of marketing. Mm-hmm. If you can get your ideas across through text, you're, you've got an endlessly effective sales team that you never have to pay again. They're just always out there doing it for you. When it comes to these blog posts, I'm just curious for someone who also writes, how, what's your process like to identify a problem and then scope it out? Because it's really easy, I find, for me to sit down and next thing you know, you just want the scope of this blog post to be everything that's like yeah. going on in your head right now. <laughs> How do you know when, or how do you choose to cut things off? And then what's your process like for writing? Well, first I, I come up with the, with the ideas for my articles from conversations that I have with other people or things that I'm trying to solve myself. And then I write about the process that, that I've come up with. So that's where I come up with the content. But when I'm writing, I do the outline first. So I kind of, put myself in a box before I actually write the article so it doesn't get crazy. If I have other ideas that pop up while I'm in the middle of writing it, I'll jot them down somewhere else for a next article. You, I mean, it's beneficial to have, <laughs> to, to spread the love, you know? Oh yeah. We, we, we definitely know how uh, backlinking and everything works. So you want to have a lot right, of, exactly. you don't want to overdo it and have these these wicked long ones. And that's a totally different discussion about what, uh, what your, what your intent is with this article. Cause I know I yeah. need to write to get my brain on paper, but there can also be benefit in putting your stuff out there to get then referrals or whatever you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, you have to stay focused when you're, when you're writing the article and keep it to that one topic or it gets out of control. And SEO right now is saying what 1,500 to 2,000 word articles are doing best. So that's what I'm going to stick to. I want to go back to working on projects that aren't seen as sexy, like going to Mm -hmm. work for a construction company or a faucet company. What are things that you've learned through that process that you think really differentiates yourself from someone who just has done marketing at a very well-funded or consumer-friendly company? You definitely have to be scrappy and focus on what needs to be done. Like we just launched a campaign for an eyewash faucet. It's an eyewash and like faucet a, the emergency and a lab and stuff? Yes. <laughs> yes. So it sounds unsexy, but I had a lot of fun with it because – I don't know. I really like a process and it's one of those things where you can check them off the box. Like let's challenge ourselves and create a really fun opt-in, a lead gen that will go along with this eyewash because even though it doesn't sound that exciting to other people, it's super exciting to facility managers, specifying engineers, architects that need to have that, that eyewash system in there. And think about what's valuable about your particular product over the next eyewash, for example. Like this one is great for space saving because it's an eyewash and a faucet all in one. So you don't need to have a separate, you could just put it in any sink. So making sure that that comes across to your audience, to the people that it actually matters to that's that's all that matters that they understand the value of it plus you get to really segment who you're talking to and it's like 
once you segment to that degree, it's like talking to one person. So you can really get into their heads. You know what they're thinking, you know what their problems are, and you know how this product can be the solution. In that example, which is a perfect example because we can go, I, I got a lot of questions about that, is you need to identify the problem that your mm-hmm. customer has, right? The problem isn't, I've got acidic things in my eyes. I need an eye wash station, right? The problem Correct. is I have a spec to meet. I've got a budget to maintain. I've got mm-hmm. a certain space in this lab and it's regulation that I need an eye wash station. Right. I mean, you could get something in your eye anywhere, but in this particular, like this is a solution for a space that, hey, it was just renovated and now it has a hazard it didn't before and we don't have room for an eye wash system in here. What can we do? Is that the angle <laughs> you took? To that. Is that the angle yeah. you took on this product? Mm-hmm. Everything about the campaign then was around the space saving because that was identified as a differentiator? Space saving or newly renovated and you're just not plumbed for an eye wash system. Okay, so you went, so that's two very specific things. So ideally you need mm-hmm. someone with a small lab that's got new plumbing. Right. Cool. Or like a classroom that was, it was an English classroom and now it's a biology classroom and they need an eyewash system. Gotcha. Tell me a little bit about what the creative looks like. Are you making videos or is a lot written copy? It's actually all of it. We are doing a couple videos around it so people can understand how you can retrofit it to an, to a regular sink, but we're also writing content at a higher level, more like a content pillar around this safety area, the people who would be buying safety products. So we're writing content that would matter to them. And then we did advertising around it with Google ads and display for with Rollworks. You can take your lists that you have in HubSpot, for example, and you can advertise just to them or you can advertise just to the people who are looking at your other safety products, for, for example. It's super narrow, so you're not wasting your advertising dollars on people who have zero interest. That bugs me so much about advertising. I don't want to waste my money. <laughs> Last question about this is just what does your rollout system look like? Do you do this all at once? Is there a big launch? Try to get promotion, try to get excitement yeah, around it? Or- we were doing a slow roll before. We would trickle things out and it was like, eh, not that exciting. So this was the first one that we did a woo big launch where we did everything. It was actually like, everything went out. It was boom, boom, boom. I spent the entire day launching everything and just communicating with everyone on my team, making sure that everything was smooth and, and going out. It, it had a pretty big impact. We, we had people submitting and for our, our lead gen immediately, like within the first hour. So I'm going to do it again. I liked it. <laughs> and when you say lead gen, you, are you talking about a lead magnet, like something for people to give you their email? Yes. Within... For every campaign that I do, actually, personally, for every article I write, I do some sort of content upgrade that goes along with it. And every single one is different. It's just because I like to write how-to type articles, I write some 
something that lets people go home and do something with it. Like I've done templates, like a creative brief template that's downloaded a lot, or I created a Trello board with the different types of email nurturing and sales pitches that you can do that went along with an email marketing pros and cons article, just something extra for every article I did. So for this iWash system, with the landing page, I created a lead gen that is a codes and standards ebook talking about all codes and standards that you need to meet for iWash systems. And it's something that our audience really loves. They, they need to know about codes and standards so because their customers are asking them about codes and standards. Exactly. Especially in scientific and safety industries, there's so much information out there that no one can possibly keep track mm -hmm. of it. And it's, it's like, oh, it's such a bummer to have to flip through, find whatever the code is. Read. Exactly. So for you to put in the work to find the information and then organize it, people would happily pass yes. over their email for that. that it was, yeah, it was a real winner. People were downloading it immediately. Just codes and standards are dry and they're hard to find because a lot of them you have to pay for. So we made it like easy. It was just eyewash codes and standards and it was palatable. It was set in a language that you could actually understand. Okay, so that's my last question about this whole campaign. In that launch, what language do you use? Do you use the, the very technical language that you know your customers understand, or do you go higher level to be more accessible to a wider audience? Yeah, we go conversational. We, we try and have the voice of like a teacher. <laughs> Conversationable, but knowledgeable. The person that you would go to for advice. That's really helpful. That's something that I'm trying to figure out right now too. I need to learn the language. I need to keep learning the language, but it's <laughs> a lot of a lot of scientific yeah. words in there that I need to look up. I know I've worked like not in your industry, but in very standardized industries just like you. So I know what you're talking about. <laughs> like I have read codes that are just dry and I have no idea what I'm reading. I just keep doing it and I have to like rewrite them into articles so people understand what, what it's about. And it took a long time for me to be able to do that well. Yeah. And I think that's also a really good opportunity though, too, is you can offer, you can make something that is just available to anyone. If you can make it entertaining, all of a sudden you've <laughs> completely differentiated yourself. Yeah. I have to learn this anyway. Why not enjoy the process? Oh, I love that. I'm going to steal that from you directly. <laughs> Go ahead, steal it. It's yours. <laughs> okay, I'm going to wrap things up, Sarah, because I could uh, talk with you for hours. But you're working on a e-course in partnership with mm -hmm. the American Marketing Association. Tell me a little yes. bit about that. Yes, they actually have a big audience of one-person marketing departments, which obviously is my jam. So they, they started following me on LinkedIn and they approached me to speak in an event of theirs. After we narrowed that down and got that solidified, we decided to create an e-course to go along with it as like an add-on for, for attendees. And so the speaking engagement is about developing content marketing plans that you can actually execute when you're a one-person marketing department. That's what the talk is about. And the e-course is about creating those processes to streamline actually building out the content. 
doing the content development. That's going to be so useful to so many people. Yes. After, after we came up with this idea, I started getting emails from my subscribers asking this very question. I was like, Oh, that's great. Good. So <laughs> yes, you validated me. Thank you. <laughs> Validate. Exactly. And is that available yet? You'll be able to find it on my website, sarahnoelblock.com. Perfect. So that's Sarah with an H, Noel Block, N-O-E-L-B-L-O-C-K. That's amazing. I'll definitely put the link in there because I know that a lot of people listening are going to find so much value in that, whether you're in a small team or a big team, because when you're in a big team, you you might not get to get your hands in the nitty gritty of other stuff. And so that could be a good opportunity for people who are very uh, limited in what they can do to understand what the other functions of marketing look like. I think so. I think it'll be a good thing. Oh, and I'm giving your listeners a a code to get 20% off of the class if they'd like it. The code will be top of mind. Oh, thank you so much. That's going to be awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. You heard that everyone. Make sure you go download the course because Sarah's generous enough to give us 20% off with the code <laughs> top of mind. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Sarah. This has been super helpful for me personally, and I hope it was helpful for other people too. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find Sarah online. Uh, Her website is sarahnoelblock.com and all the links are going to be in the description too. Thanks so much, Sarah. Have a great night and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Same. Thanks. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, then you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to topofmind.substack.com and put in your email, you can get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.